the Ortho PAC, hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC, where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Today I have Chuck Dowell back, who's a PA in orthopedics who works in urgent care. And last week we started a case study on posterior shoulder dislocation. Today we continue that discussion talking about treatments and long-term outcomes. You know, this is obviously different than an anterior dislocation, but can you touch on how you reduce this? You got to get it back. And I have like one for three in clinic, <laughs> two of them I had to send out. The way I do my dislocations is I bolus, you know, whatever local cocktail, you know, 10, 20 cc's into the space, let them sit for a little while, then try to do a maneuver. What, what's your, how do you reduce a posterior shoulder dislocation? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, if it is more of an acute, like you said, you saw that patient in the physical therapy clinic, which, you know, we have our therapy clinic attached to our urgent care here, which I often get called over there for similar things, or, you know, you'll often get to them acutely. You can usually get them in in clinic. So as you said, I try to put, you know, 10 cc's into that glenohumeral space. And that's pretty easy because that glenohumeral space is absent. So typically easy to do, let that sit for 10 minutes. But the reduction technique on this is slightly different. Usually I have the patient lying supine. I'm going to internally rotate the arm to kind of disengage it from the humeral head and that glenoid rim because they're typically in that locked position. And then usually I'll, I'll have some form of adduction and forward flexion to kind of pull that humeral head around the glenoid. Typically when I feel like it's unlocked in that position, I'll usually have somebody else on the opposite side providing some counter traction within the axillary area, or you can do the bed sheets. And then I'll provide a lateral force to kind of pull that humeral head over the glenoid and then usually external rotation to slip it back into place. And you know, it's back into place when that, you know, external rotation of that patient returns, you, you have your complete reduction. Then for our audience, you get post-reduction culture relocation films and do you do the whole set or what's your routine? Yeah, I think I would definitely want to do the axillary, you know, looking for that reverse heel sacs and you know, any kind of glenoid deformity, but making sure it's definitely back in. So I'll, I'll get the full, you know, four views. I may skip the wide view because that may not be necessary with the axillary showing it better. So I'll probably just do three views. Got it. And let's say we're back in, everything looks okay. How do you protect this patient going forward? Because they obviously are going to need some follow-up with shoulder team, most likely some PT possible, some other stuff, you know, imaging and whatnot. Do you have them in a certain position? As far as being immobilized before they're seen back, please describe what your follow-up is for the patient. Yeah, great question. Yeah, I think I definitely start the process on the MRI. Um, I think that's going to be necessary majority of the times, you know, whether this is a chronic instability or an acute dislocation, because you're going to want to look for those normal things that you're going to see with this, with that posterior labral tear. You're going to want to look for that reverse heel sacs deformity and articular cartilage damage. It, the immobilization is a tricky one because it's a little bit different than what we normally think with these anterior dislocations. So we're going to put them in this, what we call gunslinger type sling. So that's going to be at about 10 degrees of abduction and somewhere about 10 to 20 degrees of external rotation. Cause that's going to be the position that their shoulder is more stable in. If you put them back into that normal sling, that fully internally rotated position, as we talked about, that's the position that creates the instability where that humeral head kind of wants to slip back out. So you're going to put them in, in that gunslinger type sling if you have it. If you don't have it, you just kind of want to makeshift that up to kind of get them in a little bit of abduction and a little bit of extra rotation if possible. And usually they'll be in that for about six weeks. After six weeks, 
if we don't think this is a surgical case, we'll start them in some physical therapy activities and kind of progress from there. And then, you know, there's some criteria for surgery with large posterior labral tears. If that reverse hill sacs represents more than 25% of the surface of the humeral head or if it's engaging at all, those are all kind of criteria to maybe go in and fix this surgically, whether open or arthroscopically. Right. And just for our listeners, for those that don't know what a gunslinger brace is, let me tell you how much fun you're going to have putting one of these <laughs> on, especially with especially when you're in the OR, the patient sedated and falling over on you. It's it's a lot of fun, but essentially it is a sling and swath with a little pillow that goes kind of right next to the forearm. Like Chuck said, keeps the arm abducted, externally rotated a bit. I guess if you don't have one of those, if you do have one, I would recommend before you try to put it on, you practice and read the directions a couple of times because hmm. it can be a booger. Uh, yeah. If you have one, I, I guess what, use a... We well, don't really want a shoulder immobilizer. I guess you could, if you could do the swath part wider and maybe put a pillow in there and an A strap or something. Exactly. Yeah. I, I would normally get a pillow or, you know, if the patient has a sweatshirt or something like that, I wouldn't put the part that goes around the waist on. I would just put the sling part on and then have the pillow in there to kind of at least create some abduction, potentially some external rotation to just warn the patient that this is the position we can watch and we're comfortable in. But yeah, those slings are really difficult to get on lots of velcro involved lots of straps everywhere kind of complicated for sure and and so um definitely want to read over those instructions and kind of take your time putting that on because they can be tricky the first few times and patients get dramatic relief after you reduce the shoulder dislocation anterior or posterior i mean in this fella unfortunately had gone you know days with his shoulder being out so you can imagine how uncomfortable he is so once you get it in that's great Chuck, what have we missed as far as shoulder dislocations? Anything else you would like to go over? Nothing else to go over. I think the big take-home points here, like you said, is that, you know, trust your exam. Always examine the patient. I think we're in orthopedics and people that come in with musculoskeletal, you know, problems, the examination tells us a lot about what could be going on. And, you know, so always examine the patient. Trust your exam, as you said. If the x-rays are read as negative, but this patient has an exam concerning and a mechanism concerning, they didn't ask somebody or get further imaging. You know, one of the studies recently done on this showed that 250 patients with posterior dislocations were studied. 79% of them were missed at the first visit. And all of those patients that were missed, none of them had an axillary view or a CT scan performed. And so it shows that if you think this is a concern, get that axillary view or get that CT scan. If you're in the emergency room and you have access to that, because that will show that the, the shoulder is dislocated, it'll give the orthopedic surgeon something to look at as far as possible bony deformities. And then you can kind of get them in as far as the reduction and get them to that orthopedic surgeon with that testing already done. So I think that's just the big take-home points is always watch out for these, kind of have them in the back of your head, especially based upon those mechanisms and injuries we talked about, and just really trust your exam. Perfect. And to trust your exam, trust your reading of your x-ray. Uh, yeah. It, it's not uncommon, and I'm sure, Chuck, you've had this experience where somebody comes in with a CD and, you know, whatever, the AP is in one direction, the laterals, and the lateral <laughs> slash obliques in the other direction. And, you know, that, that kind of stuff happens. So if you don't have a good quality film, you know, you have to explain to the patient sometimes, look, this isn't, you don't want to say it's bad. I've done that, and I got a call from the primary care. Why'd you say my film were that? But you, you, you know, you say it's not showing the exact angle that I need or something and then get you a good set of films. And that way you can make a diagnosis. You don't want to try to 
do something without having all the information you need. Well, great, Chuck. I, I enjoyed this. This was fun. Maybe we could do some more in the future. And I really appreciate you being on. Well, thank you. I appreciate you having me on. And yeah, I, I see a lot of fun things. I, I like working in the orthopedic urgent care. So happy to come on again and talk about kind of the interesting stuff I see for sure. Thank you for listening to the Ortho PAC podcast. Please follow the physician assistants in orthopedic surgery on social media. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Please subscribe to our podcast. If this has been helpful, please take a moment to leave a review.